Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. No turkeys, no ducks. Aaron, what in the world are we going to do? Well, maybe we need to find Waldo. Have you ever heard of Where's Waldo? <laughs> yeah. We, we had a little bit of a thing like that with our, our buddy Jim Ronquist. Uh, last time we tried to get him on. But we found him this time, and he and he's helping along, uh, helping us find some turkeys and ducks. So I think that'll be a good start. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, that was that was a good conversation, a lot of fun, and you know, as you know, it's always fun talking to old friends anyway. So, and when you get to throw in wildlife and all the things going on with waterfowl and turkeys around the country, and you had some great info from from the you know report that y'all just did at NWF Outdoors. So. Yeah, uh, it, it was just timely because he was talking about some of the very stuff we're dealing with, with uh, or we're thinking about with habitat loss. And, you know, I, I think I enjoyed this conversation mostly because I just love talking to people who kind of epitomize that sporting conservation lifestyle. And he just does. He works it, lives it, breathes it, wakes up in the morning thinking sporting conservation and goes to bed thinking it. And that's that's my kind of guy. Exactly. That's exactly right. He's down to earth you know, Southern country, yet he, when you get into the brass tacks of conservation, he knows the details. I mean, he's into it. Yeah. So we hope folks enjoy this one. I, I think you will. And we got to do a little special announcement uh, that, that will be out by then. Uh, but he told us kind of first, I guess we'll say we, we have a premiere of sorts. Uh, but uh, by the time this episode runs, the world will know about our friend, Mr. Ronquest and where he's headed. But uh Good episode, Jim Ronquest, uh, Turkeys for Tomorrow, Rich and Tone Duck Calls, and now Drake Waterfowl. So here we go. Go Red. Since 1936, the National Wildlife Federation has worked with hunters and anglers to pass the most important conservation laws of American history and to protect our sporting traditions. This podcast explores our history, our values, and the work we do to safeguard the fish and wildlife that fuel our passions. We are NWF Outdoors. Hey everyone, welcome to the NWF Outdoors podcast. I'm Bill Cooksey and we have host Aaron Kendall here with us. What's going on, Aaron? Oh, another beautiful day in the neighborhood, buddy. Glad glad to get this podcast finally rolling. We tried one time and, and now we're really going to do it. That's right. I, I think we have, uh, you know, all the, as Jim said just a little while ago, all the gerbils pulling in the right direction. So we're going to get it done today. Our guest today is Jim Ronquist. And he, uh, most people don't realize it, but he hails from Missouri, but he's known for his time in Arkansas. And I think he's lived in Arkansas the whole time I've known him, which is about 30 years now. Uh, we met at calling contests back in the days and it, uh, ran retriever hunt tests together and even shared a blind on the creek back when he was guiding duck hunters uh, before he got into the manufacturing and television and all business. 
Since then, he's been the producer and co-host of RNTV, a world duck calling champion and a call designer. Uh, more importantly, though, is Jim's contribution to conservation. He's always been at the forefront as a communicator of scientific management to the hunting community. And in that role, he's won numerous awards and was also named co-chairman of Turkeys for Tomorrow. Now, in a little twist, a little later in the show today, we're going to have a, a breaking news to the general public about a, a change Jim's making, a career change he's making. But we're not going to say too much about it just quite yet. Uh, how are you doing, Jim? Better than I deserve, Bill. Thank you. Well, we're we're glad to have y'all, and we're going to start this thing as we always do, just talking about what we do out, what we've been doing outside. And I saw on Facebook you've been doing a lot of fun stuff, and I'm hoping Aaron has as well. So, Aaron, what have you been doing? Well, of course, fun stuff, right? That's what we do around here. I went back to the Utah Canyons with my kids. Uh, over their spring break just recently here. So we spent a lot of time in the, the big red rock, slick rock stuff and found some slot canyons and all kinds of good stuff out there. So that was fun. And then I've been just starting to test the waters for my for my famous BWO, Blue Winged Olive Hatch here, here locally. The clouds have been coming in, but it's been warming up and uh, they're not quite here yet, but uh, Right now would be a really good time, but uh, maybe I'll make it. Maybe I'll make it out there this afternoon, sometime later. But good times outside. Spring's coming. Gardening, all kinds of good stuff. That sounds good. I know you got to hit that before the before things start melting and and they first turn milky and then get muddy and your rivers start looking like the ones back here. But yeah, uh, this is the best time of the year, really, in a lot of ways. So I, this is one of my favorite times of the year for fishing. Very cool. Well, you know, I've I've been scouting turkeys, doing a little bit of fishing. Um, spent last week in Louisiana, so it was great to get in the field with work again. Um, I, I went to a celebration, which was just an oyster kind of an oyster festival, where they uh, take they get people to understand how you can recycle the shells and all, and that was cool. And then we had a big bass festival in New Orleans at the city park that i attended and that was really cool to see i mean it, it's this beautiful place in the middle of new orleans with a bayou running through it that's just absolutely gorgeous and it's from three-year-old kids up to 85 year old men out there uh fishing and and having a big old time but Bill, I, uh, sometimes i wish we could just trade places for like a week or two because all your stuff is so novel and indifferent to me and you know, you come out here and hang out in the mountains and get snowed on, and I could go fish for bass. There you go. I don't even know what a slot canyon is, so, you know. <laughs> <laughs> a slot canyon is just these these such narrow canyons that you walk down them and you can't even see out the top sometimes. They're, they'll be like five feet wide and 200 feet deep, and they're kind oh, of wow. – the, the water's carved them, and they're swervy, and so, you know, they lean over each other, and they're, they're pretty cool. You should find some. I'll look next time I'm out in the turkey woods. <laughs> well, speaking of turkey woods, Jim, what have you been doing? Well, actually, I was on my first turkey trip this past weekend. Um, had a great time in Alabama. Uh, and we'll say that if that was the only place you ever saw, you would not think there was an issue with turkey populations in different parts of the country. We couldn't have hit it any better. Weather was beautiful. The more cold, clear, hallelujah mornings. Lots of turkeys gobbling. Turkeys pretty responsive. They're just really starting to get with hens. You know, not hens probably not quite ready yet. Not gobblers are chasing hens. Ain't squatting bottom. You, you know the time of year. Nice, that is. yeah. You yeah. know, and it, it was prime time. Prime time. That's when the two-year-olds are fun. Oh my goodness, yes. Yes, sir. They'll get on a cow trail and just come to you. And, and the beauty of it, too, you know, with Alabama's got new laws back and stated with no decoys that, of any kind the first 10 days, you know, it was old school turkey hunt. You know, it's, you know, set in the right spot. You have it at the right time. Plant your butt where you need to plant your butt. And that makes a difference. Absolutely. I mean, that that's what it's really all about. And, um, uh, I, I love hunting without decoys and typically in my own hunting, I, I don't use them, but I'm not filming. And I know when you're having to run a camera, a lot of times those decoys can make a big difference. Mm. And that may have been the, one of the best parts of the whole weekend is, is there was no other agendas. It was just 
buddies getting together to go turkey hunting. You know, that's what made it fun. Gotcha. Well, we open up this weekend. What about y'all, Aaron? When does turkey get going out in Colorado? About 10 more days. I think it's April April 10th or so, and it goes till the end of May. So we'll be getting out a little bit, mostly for my boy. Mm. I'm no good at it, and, and, and we don't have that many turkeys out here like you guys. So we go out and listen to them call and try to get close and, you know, have a good time because we're out. But uh, we haven't gotten one in the last couple of years. Ah, well, my understanding is parts of Colorado has a pretty good Marion's population in it. Um, yeah, there's places we just we just focus locally, Jim. And you know, a lot of the reason is because it's such a good fishing time, and there's so much going on. And you know, we we often go out for two hours or so in the morning, and then just head to the river and float the river and fish because <laughs> mm-hmm. it's it's the right time. We do the old cast and blast, so it's pretty fun. Any, any even if that. we don't get a turkey, yeah. Nothing wrong with that. I know Bill can appreciate that. Bill, I'm, as I know, is quite a fisherman, and I, I miss it. I don't get the chunky wine as much as I used to, but there's some beauty in an early morning turkey hunt and then an early afternoon bass fishing or crappie fishing trip and talk about a meal at night. Turkey breast and crappie fillets and cold beer is hard to beat. <laughs> yes, sir. Well, it's, I, I have a buddy that wants me to go with him this weekend, and it, it's going to hurt because I really want to go up to the river and stay at my place there because I get in the boat in the pitch black, run out and uh, run to the turkey woods by boat, hunt, mm-hmm. come in, get my wife, and we go out and crappie fish the rest of the day. And that that helps you sleep at night when you put in a day like that. Mm-hmm. And nothing wrong <laughs> with it either, buddy. It's all good. Gets a good kind of tired. I'll promise you that. That's right. That's right. But Jim, let let's step back a little bit. I. One thing we've never talked a lot about, even in all of our time together, is about you growing up. You, you know, your upbringing as a kid, and I know you were raised in the outdoors. Your dad loved to hunt, and mm-hmm. uh, uh, let's talk about that. What? Wh- how'd you get started? What was it like? Where were you? Man, you know that's that's kind of easy when you know. So while I was I was born in in, in Missouri, I was born in the, in the Ozarks, Phelps County Hospital, Rolla, Missouri, is where it says on my birth certificate, um, which Rolla is headquartered for the Mark Twain National Forest. So, you know, I'm going to say there's some turkey hunting there kind of running the genes a little bit. Uh, but in the first or second grade, so, so y'all are kind of going to have to get my life history here a little growing up. Um, so I don't remember if I was in first grade or second grade, Dad worked for a large contractor, large construction company, and we got transferred. He got transferred to Western Kentucky, um, so the whole family had to go. Of course, that's the confluence of the Mississippi and Ohio rivers. Um, right across, actually, the job he was working on was on the Illinois side of the river. Um, and of course, as Bill knows, you know, back in the seventies and Canada goose hunting in the quota zone, crab orchard, horseshoe lake, Southern Illinois was a Big waterfowling area along with Ballard County, Kentucky. Had lots of ducks, lots of geese, um, good quail hunting. My dad was a was, was a bird hunter. He liked feathers. We had a couple. He had a couple of nice bird dogs, and um, in a position to make a lot of friends, got permission to hunt and and make great friends. And, and growing up in that time period, you had two choices on Christmas break: you either loved to go hunting or you hated it because you was going whether you wanted to or not. <laughs> so. Um, We'd get up in the morning and we'd either duck hunt or goose hunt and come back. And dad uh, and, and my grandfather on his side was even bigger and taller. But dad was um, pretty good shape, 6'2", long-legged, could clear a three-strand barbed wire fence without ever pushing the wire down. And I was short and dumpy and fat. And he loved to chase them bird dogs. And I had I, every pair of blue jeans I had had to straddles ripped out of them from crossing fences or getting hung up on the bob wire not being able to get across um so we get done with that so we go duck hunt and come back dad said well let's go take a little round son so he'd get my brother or buddy and we get in the truck and we go quail hunting and walk my little fat butt off and we come back in get something to eat and one of dad's dear friends who become a very big mentor of mine in in duck and goose calling and all that um a gentleman named jim mittendorf we called him Uncle Mimi. He loved a coon hunt, and he had a really nice blue tick named Yipper. So he'd pick, come pick me up, and we'd go turn them hounds loose for a while, and he'd come back and go to bed. Um, 
And, and you talk about make you tired during Christmas break. That'll make you tired. But I loved it, and and I still do. But in the process of that, the, the duck and goose hunting at that time, um, the calling aspect, the communicating with nature really, really stuck to me. And, and I, I really enjoyed that. And then from there, you know, spring turkey hunt, you know, first, first time I ever went turkey hunting is funny. Um, it was pouring down raining and looking back, I can remember my dad's face. Can he asked me straight up? He said, son, it's open in the morning. If you want to go, I promise you we'd go but it's raining really hard. And I thought, man, it's time for me to be the tough guy and say, yeah, dad, I want to go. And thinking back about the look on his face when I said that, he was like, oh, dang. (laughs) So we go hunting in a pouring, pouring rainstorm. Man, it was raining pitchforks and tater babies. Um, We're sitting up there and dad's calling and lo and behold, a hen come up. And I, I recognized it to be a hen. And I can remember dad telling, telling the story to somebody else when I was there. He said, I prayed to God he didn't see a limb and think that was a beard and shoot that hen turkey. Um, so, so that was a start. Finally got one. Um, of course, gobbling, strutting turkeys coming to you. Fat don't excite you. Something's wrong with you. Um, and that, that turned into my dad and I being great hunting buddies, even up to the point through the years of getting involved in contests and pro staffing and toting video cameras. Um, dad was always my main hunting buddy when I was home. And I remember one morning we was on a, on a really good place. And uh, at, at this point in my life, we had had, we'd gotten transferred back to Missouri. We'd been from Kentucky to Tennessee, um, Southeast Missouri, Northeast Arkansas. Um, and, and we're back up in kind of central Missouri. And we had a really nice place to hunt. And I remember, I had been on the road and come back and stand there. This was the prime time, you know, tur- late eighties, early nineties, turkeys gobbling everywhere. And, uh, dad looked at me as dark. He said, son, there's one too many of us standing here. You pick, you want to go to, and I'm going to pick me one. And I stood there a minute, looked around, turned around. Dad done snuck off. I said, Hey, wh- 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 where'd he go? I can't do it. You know, I was so used to hunting with dad, it just, it bothered me. Now I had to go learn how to be a turkey hunter. And I had killed several up until that point, but um, it was a great lesson and, and had opportunities that I wish I could have given my daughter growing up in the outdoors that I guess you could say impassioned me to follow this career path. I love That's it. awesome. Bill, I could I I want to I want to do something here because I I know Bill and I talked about different things we're going to talk about here, and we were originally Jim when we were going to have you on. I don't know if you heard Bill and Aaron BS and where where is Ronquist? That's one of our that's one of you our know, episodes I, we put. Out. I think I did I think I did see see a blip <laughs> of that or something like that on when I could I couldn't make the dang thing work. Um, yeah, well, in any case, one of the things we wanted to do, and I I don't think it's too late during that episode was roundup duck season a little. I mean, you put in more days out on the marsh and out in these swamps than just about anybody and are just immersed in that business so deeply. Uh, I, I, Bill and I talk about it a little. I had the privilege of meeting you in person when I was out there in December. Mm-hmm. You know, we heard repeatedly the duck season was an odd one. I think it's worth hearing from, from your mouth too. You know, what you saw just kind of rounded up for us in the places you were. Yeah. Now, now wait, wait a minute. Odd was not the word anyone used. <laughs> well, well, yeah, I know. I'm trying to, I'm trying to be nice here. I, I get that. <laughs> you're, you're trying to clean it up a little, um, but you know, in, even though you hear a lot overall for the course of even our season here at home, I would say it was certainly better than last year. Um, I definitely heard of more fair to good than poor to fair. Um, for me personally, all of our road trips were successful. We, we got good hunts. We didn't get any wow footage, but we got good footage, good solid hunts. Um, did well. We're going to get a, you know episode or segment out of each road trip. Um, got home. Uh, didn't video a lot here at home. Blake and I didn't, but what we did was successful. Um, and then I was helping out on one of the legacy properties in the area that, that I get on the guide rotation on. Um, and they had probably a top five duck season. 
Um, so they did okay, as did some of the other legacy properties around. And, and part of that is, is is water control and habitat management is what a lot yeah. of it goes back to. You know, and, and Bill and I get in these conversations all the time um, and can talk for hours about it. But but that's part of it. Um, the warm winter, the warm November, December was tough. That that was tough. Finally getting that good cold front there early January and some rain created a, a late migration that helped. And I was getting concerned with it getting so late in the year. I, I'm kind of the pretty much I'm the Christmas believer. Pretty much believe, especially with mallards, if you don't have them by Christmas Eve or say with the first of January, you're probably not going to get them. As that daylight starts getting longer, everything in them says it's time to start going back north um, unless it gets really bad and pushes them down. But we got one just in the, towards the late end of the nick of time, and it helped a lot of people out. A lot of the public was good. Some of the WMAs in the area actually had some pretty good hunting for a while. Not the whole season, but for a decent period of time, or some folks had some decent hunting. We might need to go back and change that episode to Bill BS and then because he told me that the duck season. <laughs> no, I know I was there and I saw with you guys when I was there. It was it was rough cooking uh, for, yeah, for a oh, few yeah. different it, reasons. It and its, that was early yes, to mid-December. Yeah. Yeah. And, and Arkansas so. caught some water. You know, y'all caught water on your side of the river when you really did. hadn't caught it on this mm -hmm. side. No, that is very true. And that's one thing about it. When you talk about duck season, it's been a minute or a year or two since the whole region had a good duck season. Typically what seems to happen is, is it's kind of fragmented. It's, it's kind of where the water and the habitat kind of hit together. And there seems to be a pile of ducks there and that's where they go to. Um, I'm looking forward to another one of them 2011 years where we had a big bee pop, had a big winter, had big water, everything fell in place, you know, um, or 99 would be really fun again, or a 2000. Uh, and, and I'd we may take either, that. any of those. Yeah, yeah, me too, me too. Um, yeah. But that being said, you don't get those every year. And, you know, it's kind of goes back to the how many theory. Um, we all love to go duck hunting. And sure, everybody likes to smell burn powder and have a strap full of ducks and a tired dog, but it's not always about how many, you know. Um, and, and I think we're all spoiled. You know, Bill and I go hunting and, you know, or around here, people go hunting at 9, 10 o'clock. Man, they ain't going to get them. Man, there's a lot of times traveling around the country and producing video or trying to get a TV show. Man, you hunt all day. You hunt all morning, go get some lunch or cook lunch and stay all afternoon, you know, to shoot four limits of ducks. And be proud you did it and be very right. proud of it, you know. And a lot of folks here, are, we're, we're spoiled um, by all our, our own good fortune. We should probably let you do a little shout out to your, to your show too, Jim. You know, we kind of mentioned it real quick in the intro, but maybe you want to tell us just real quick before we jump over to some more turkey stuff, what it is and where people yeah, can find it. Yes, sir. Thank you. Yeah. Um, so I, I've been fortunate enough for the past, this is coming up on season 17. Um, if you don't include the first two years where we did 52 weeks, then you'd have to call it season 19. But um this is season 17 of RNTV. Um, it's uh, airs exclusively on the Sportsman Channel. Um, we've been doing it since 2006 and um, very proud of it. Um, it's earned some tellies. It's got best footage awards. Other than Ducks Unlimited, it is the longest running dedicated waterfowl show on outdoor television. Um, now, there may be some digital pieces that are longer, but as far as on linear television, other than DUTV, um, I guess we're number two in length. So that's something I'm really proud of, very proud of. And it's it's a good show. It has its ups and downs, but um, we try to show duck hunting for duck hunting. The hard part about doing a TV show is it's 30 minutes, but it's really only 22 minutes of footage jumped, jumped into that time frame. And it may be three days of hunting, dumped into that particular amount of time so um you can always make it look different than what it is but you know we like to show the good days and the bad days you know it's that's duck hunting yeah i, I was with warren coco last week and he had filmed a television show uh back in the fall and the folks well i think they killed three ducks while they were there and they said man i'm glad we were here a couple of years ago because we still have some footage of birds from uh <laughs> yeah with the same skyline so uh 
you know, that's kind of how it goes sometimes with television. Uh, yeah, buddy. You know, Jim, I think the first time you and I turkey hunted together, I don't remember the year, but it's probably about 03 or 04. And uh, I had called Jim Spencer because Spencer had gone to North Dakota with me that, that fall. And we just talked turkey hunting the whole time. And, and I was at Avery and we had that Ames plantation mm-hmm. uh, situation where we could hunt there and had 18,000 acres. And it was awesome. So I called Spencer and I said, hey, man, I want you to come over and turkey hunt. And he said, well, Jill and I are going with jim ronquist this weekend i'm like well where are y'all going and i forget where y'all were supposed to go but i said why don't y'all just stop by here and and we'll hunt for a few days and i know that that first morning you and jill went off to a spot and i, I forget if y'all killed one or missed one but y'all were in turkeys and, and oh, Spencer I, and- I killed one and then run across the road and yipped up another one that uh that jill just moved at the wrong time but we eventually got her one on that trip though gotcha well that that and spencer and i went to another spot and and that man as you know has hunted everywhere i mean he's Mm -hmm. killed turkeys from hawaii to new york so and everywhere in between and we're standing on a a high piece of ground for west tennessee it was high (laughs) and when the turkeys started gobbling you could hear them from as far as you could hear out that way to as far as you could hear out that way. I mean, there were gobblers just coarse gobbling everywhere. And, mm. and it was absolutely incredible. And Spencer looked at me and said, I'm sure I've heard this many turkeys before, but I couldn't tell you when or where. I mean, it, it, you, it doesn't get better. And five years later, I could go to that same spot and hear two or three on an average morning. Mm-hmm. Um, I haven't been there in several years now, but, uh, but all of my places in this part of the country have, have followed that kind of a trend and it's just been trending down, down, down with a few blips here and there. Mm-hmm. And I know you've seen some of that and that's yes. what, what led you and some other folks to start a new organization focused on turkeys and some of the, the issues that y'all have witnessed. So you bet. Tell us about turkeys for tomorrow. That's what yeah. we're here to talk about. Man, I appreciate the opportunity to talk about it. You know, uh, like we kind of just hit on, uh, for most of my outdoor career, other than when I first started, you know, waterfowl has been my advoca- been my vocation, and I'm very, still a very passionate duck hunter. I love it as much as anything. Thankfully, duck season and spring turkey season doesn't happen at the same time. That would be a bad deal. Amen. But, uh, you know, turkey hunting's kind of been my avocation, although it was my lead into the outdoor industry, um, other than, than waterfowl guiding. Um, so with that, I had the opportunity years ago to start my first pro staff gig was with the Primos pro staff and, uh, great guys. I learned a ton. And one of my first trips or assignments was to go to Texas uh, with their current videographer at the time and producer, video producer, a guy named Ron Jolly. Um, and Jolly and I kind of hit it off and, um, we went to Texas, had a big time. I, you know, my job was to go with the landowners and his job was to take, you know, back in them days, as you remember, Bill, it was hunting writers and editors and, and that kind of stuff, you know, to get our messages out there. Um, Whereas nowadays it's a little different. Anyway, that being said, we become big buddies. I learned a lot about a camera and blah, 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 blah. That led to one thing and meeting several folks. Well, from there, we'll just fast forward, God, dang near 25, 30 years. Um, and, you know, all the several other people that had done the same thing had kind of gone different directions. Now, Jolly and I have stayed in touch. Mark Yarbrough and I stayed in touch. Spencer and Jill and I stayed in touch. Um, did several hunts together. But a lot of those guys went different places. So in June of 2020, um, Jolly had the bright idea of having a get-together at the White Oak Plantation outside of Tuskegee, Alabama. And if you remember back in the day, you know, when, when turkeys was really rolling, man, white oak was, was something, you know, pictures of everybody hunting on opening morning with an Alabama longbeard, you know, just unbelievable. And it was a great place for us to meet up. And the whole plan there was just to get a bunch of folks back together who, had, you know, had worked together in the outdoor industry, toting the camera, be behind the camera, in front of a camera, product development, whatever, bring everybody together again, cook fish 
grill stuff, tell lies, drink beer, have a big time. But one of the things Jolly wanted to do in that was have basically a round table discussion on Saturday afternoon. There's, there was 14 of us, two ladies, Jill Easton and Tess Jolly. Um, and the whole de- idea there was, and I tried to video it, but you can't video a 14 person round table discussion with one person and one camera. It just doesn't work or don't sure not going to look good. That being said, we kind of went around the room and asking people what they seen, you know, people like Buddy Hanks, David Carden, you know, Kevin Matthews, folks that were solid hunters, spent a lot of time in the woods. Well, what do you see in your area and what do you think's the issue? And and it kind of led to everybody was pretty much saying the same thing and we were covering a lot of different states, you know, most are folks that travel a good bit, um like the Spencers. Um, that, that go a lot of places, not only southeast, but to Midwest and where there's turkeys, they're going. People like, um, well, Dave Owens wasn't there that year. But we had a lot of good, well-traveled turkey hunters saying the same thing. But everybody was asking a different question, um, which kind of led to, to kind of what we think nowadays with turkey research, a lot of it, to get the right answer, you've got to ask the right question. Um Generic questions don't necessarily get you to where you need to be. So that kind of led to, uh, you know, a good time, a good chat. And then, you know, just the conversation after that really, you know, everybody's talking about, well, how can we make a difference? What can we do to be different? So that led into establishing an LLC um, with the help of an attorney in Jackson, Mississippi, by the name of Mr. Patrick Maloof. he helped us out with some folks he knew, some other attorneys, and we got a LLC started. And then we eventually got our 501c3 in spring of 21. Um, so just we just a little over officially being a year old with a 501c3. In um, our mission statement, so so you let me back up here. So with all that, that's how it started. So you got to wonder, say, what are we trying to accomplish? How are we going to help directly help turkeys? So I'll read our mission statement. Uh, we promote America's hunting traditions, conservation, and education through the timeless collaboration of hunters and wildlife professionals to ensure we all have turkeys for tomorrow. And that kind of leans us heavily into research. We got our first research project going under Dr. Will Goolsby at Auburn. Um, in cooperation with the Alabama chapter, National Wild Turkey Federation, the Alabama Wildlife Federation, the hunting public, uh, and some others are doing a, a project, a couple of projects. One's a song meter deal, basically a goblin chronology study. Now, those have been done for years. And you can go to any decent turkey department, and people have done that. But it'd be like four or five of us buddies, okay, guys, I want you to go sit in the same spot on the same ridge every morning from March 1st to June 1st and count how many gobbles you hear, take your thermos coffee, sit on tailgate, and count. Well, Bill, I don't know about you, but I like to count gobbles, and I like to count turkeys, but I'm going to be thinking like, hmm, if I took this ridge here and went that away, I could maybe get on that turkey over there and, and there's another turkey gobbling over here that I ain't really paying attention to. So it would change the accuracy of those studies as the spring moves on. So, you know, turkey hunters want to hear turkeys gobble. That being said, is there a difference between way turkeys frequency, frequency gobbling on public and private are gobbling peaks shifted? Um, are most of our hens getting bred now? In the southeast, are they getting bred in a week or really two weeks? When are are they getting bred? So that will help us find that. Another thing we're doing with this first project at Auburn is we're putting some GPS transmitters on some hens in the springtime to see where they go during the breeding season. Where are they raising their poults? We think we know what kind of habitat we need with poults, but we don't really know. And what kind of habitat works being the most effective to raise poults? That's a good one. And then the third one, and this is one I'm really curious about, and it's going to sound a little weird to talk about, but it's it's, it's intriguing. So we're doing a, a gobbler fertility test, doing a sperm count on turkeys. And, and you ask, well, why in the world would you do that? Because, Bill, you and I have probably always talked, and Aaron, I don't know how much you've grown up in turkey hunting, but we always thought that if you yep up two or three long beards in the springtime, um, 
and you shoot the strutter or what you think is the dominant bird, the one with him immediately takes over breeding rights. Well, there's some talk out there that that doesn't happen. Um, and there's some talk that jakes can't effectively breed. They may try, but they can't effectively breed. Um, that subdominant gobblers may strut, but it takes them another couple of weeks to get through the pecking order and for their sperm motility to be at, more active. I don't know that I buy all that. Uh, I don't know. Uh, seen too many jakes try to top decoys, and I ask myself this: if that's true, evolutionary pressures wouldn't have let that turkey put himself in a compromising position. And I don't know that they need that much practice. Um, that being said, maybe there's something to that. So they've tested some hens and realized that there is separate DNA sometimes amongst, amongst a clutch of poles. But then they think that those hens may be seeing other dominant birds within a leg. So I'm curious about this whole deal to see if which way is which. So there's a study going on in that, around the Auburn area. We videoed it over the weekend. You shoot a, long, a male turkey. You got a questionnaire you fill out. You clean the turkey. You transfer possession over to Auburn. You put him in a bag and you freeze him. And they're going to check him out for disease, for all kinds of stuff after the season. So I'm really curious of that. And, and that may tell us a lot. That may tell us if we are shooting too many dominant birds too early. Um, and, and this questionnaire goes on to ask, you know, if it's, if it's legal to use decoys, what kind of decoys did you use? How did you use them? Um, look, I don't want to tell anybody how to hunt, but I want to make sure we've got the resources to enjoy. So if maybe, maybe this is where politics and policy comes into research, you know, all the research in the world don't do any good if you don't put it to use. So w once we understand what's going on, this is a three year deal, you know, it's, you're not going to learn it in a year, but if we see that, if this research shows that we're shooting too many dominant gobblers too early, maybe we need to set the season back. Maybe we need to, you know, or if it's late season mortality and you're killing turkeys with a strutter decoy or a fan late in the season, maybe we need to cut back on that. Uh, you know, science-based wildlife management gives us good answers, gives us good policy and good regulations to move forward with. Making those kind of regulations off of, off of emotion, um, or what we think it is, which might be right, doesn't do us any good. So our deal is we want to get science-based wildlife regulations put to, put to good use. So use the biology to move forward. So that, that's a that's a big mouthful of stuff, but that's kind of what's going on. You're talking about the paradox of all wildlife management, <laughs> dealing with all the people in there telling you how it is, and then having the science and trying to thread the needle. Right. You bet. And, and that's, that's a part of TFT, you know, and, and let me be clear. Um, I'm a life member of the national wild Turkey Federation. They do fantastic work. We would not be where we would not have been at the high point of our Turkey populations without them. And we are not trying to take away their job. We're trying to add to it. We're trying to be complementary to the NWTF. We're, not taking the exact same route, we don't need to be the NWTF. They do a great, great job in a lot of directions. And research has been one of those. Um, we're just trying to maybe try to pinpoint a little tighter, try to work on smaller projects. Shoot, we're, we don't have the money they do. We're trying to get there. But we're trying to do good things for the turkey and turkey hunters. And we'd like for people to help join up and help us help turkeys. I, I got two things for you, Jim. One is I mm -hmm. hope you've come across Tim Gothard down in Alabama. He's our, he's our ED down at Alabama Wildlife Federation. Heck of a guy. Yes. Good, good. I hope yeah, you get, I, get to spend I, some I, time with him. I haven't got to spend a lot of time with him. I've met him. I believe I met him at our, our deal last year, but I have seen his name on several documents and emails that's come through. I've seen his name and heard his name spoke of. So next time I have the opportunity, I, we have mutual friends. So that'd be good. a good way to get things kicked off. Head over to that Alabama Wildlife Federation headquarters too. They got an impressive situation there. On an oh, old, I bet a, they do. A few hundred acres, and it's got a whole wildlife center. It's really, really awesome place. Oh, cool. 
the other, th- I was going to ask you if we could back up just a little. What about the things in, in turkey conservation that we do know that are issues? You know, you guys are kind of getting out there on the on the edge of the envelope and trying to find out really nuanced stuff about hunter behavior and stuff. But there's presumably, you know, some habitat issues, some other things like that. What out there are, are we dealing with that we kind of understand? Well, you know, habitat's always important. You know, landscape change is, is a big thing too. Just, and again, this, this this snake has many heads and that's a Jim Spencer line. I just borrowed it from him. But you just go riding through the countryside and look at the fragmentation in, in rural America. Now, you know, just past suburbia, but not way deep or even pretty deep. You'll be going up an old blacktop road or county highway and you'll come up on a dollar general somewhere carved out of a pasture um or a little small shopping center or you know all of a sudden here's a few houses on five six acres and um that's all fragmentation taken away from habitat along with a lot of other things that we don't know back to the unknowns what about treated seeds here's a big one that could maybe fix everything the past five six seven years there's been weather pattern change to where we get pretty consistently are getting a wet cold heavy rain through the second week through the end of may prime hatching times you know i i'm gonna bet that most of our turkeys at least in billionized region of the world are probably hatched within a couple of weeks of each other now natural succession is going to make it where some hens breed earlier than other hens so that spreads that out to kind of take that's mother nature kind of taken into consideration of those heavy rains. Right. Um, but that being said, so many wet springs in a row and high water years in the bottoms, I think has really took its toll on turkeys. Um, so, you know, a couple, two, three dry springs could potentially change everything. But then I think you get back in these landscape changes. Um, you know, fire is a good thing. I, we are, everybody's a fire proponent on burning at the right times. Um, you know, some like Dr. Goolsby, Dr. Will Chamberlain, Dr. Brett Collier talk about even growing season fires that may evidently sometimes pass over a turkey nest, but can also the positivity there for turkeys is better in the long run. Um, of course, late early late winter, early spring fires do a lot of good. You'll see turkeys come back in behind the fire and still smoking. Um, but I would say the biggest thing is habitat. Loss of habitat is big in people lose taking away edge cover um you know i talked about my dad earlier loving the quail hunt and grew up with bird dogs and hunting gentleman bob um at the ames plantation you go look at it and how good quail habitat and turkey habitat match up well you start taking away all that edge cover and clean fence rows or no fence rows or you know border to border farming and you start losing that habitat for all kinds of upland nesting birds so a lot of things that we could maybe change around. Uh, you know, if the private, both either your private landowner or private ground hunter or hunt public ground, just pay attention to what type of land use is going on. If you rent or own and you have the opportunity to do some habitat work, get with your state agency's private lands biologist and talk about what you want to do and look at things from a different angle. And it's fun. The more you get involved in helping wildlife on your property or even if it's lease ground timber ground if you see an issue there or something you want to work on find the natural resources coordinator for that timber company talk to them about it there's always things you can do to maybe help and along with that join turkeys for tomorrow and national wild turkey federation and try to help turkeys that way i gotta jump in here bill sorry and then you and then you're up because it's ironic because we just this week released a, a report about habitat loss for game species, and we included some different numbers for turkeys, right? And there's some big ones in here. Uh, you talked a little bit about Arkansas and that area in, in your home area. We have data that talks about losing as much as 65% of their habitat since 2003 in Arkansas. Mm, we're we're looking in, in North Carolina and North Dakota, one in every 19 acres has been lost of turkey habitat. Uh, Oklahoma, one in every 33, you know, across the country, we're seeing this. And one in every 81 acres in total of turkey habitat has been lost. So wow. you know, average, average distance to development in turkey country is 1.6 miles if you take all of it. So 
just just mm-hmm. a little plug for our report there. We, we've got it out yeah. on social media and some other stuff. You gave me the perfect opportunity, so I, I, I couldn't well, let it go by. Sorry. I'm going to throw it back out there. Can we, can we also um, help you publicize that? Can we put that on our website? Yeah. I'll get it over to you. Yep. It has, it has many different things. It has mule deer. It has moose. It has blue wing teal down in your neck of the woods uh, or down in some of the places you work, uh, Bill, and mm-hmm. in Florida. We use some of the data from there. So take a look at it. Get it out if you uh, appreciate that, Jim. You bet. Uh, speaking of blue wingers, right down from the house, there's, it's kind of interesting, Bill. I told you on the way home about the speckle bellies. Um, there's about 50 specks and 150, 200 blue wings sitting there hanging out together. And the specks get smaller every day, group, and the blue wings get bigger. Now, this is awful to hear, but I know some a lot of taxidermists who, who call uh, turkey season mm-hmm. teal collection season because they'll That's always right. – somebody just can't stand it when they see one of those really beautiful blue wings. So, y'all, just when you walk up on them, just look at them. Just look yeah, at them and let them go because they are beautiful right now. Them right now, they are. both. Yes, yes, uh, they are. Lots of color, it, lots of stuff. It's, it's fun, you know, and it's kind of a fun time to. Spring's a fun time of year. You know, you, I used to always hear people get mad at February. Well, I kind of like February because you kind of got ducks on your mind still. A lot of ducks around, speck, snow geese. You know, you you're kind of chilling for a little bit, kind of just easing through through the month of february is a transition then you know you really you end duck season close to the end of january turkey season somewhere is not very far off you know so you're starting to think turkeys a little bit you're still enjoying ducks and even now you know just turkey hunting this weekend in in alabama but still you come home get to enjoy waterfowl on the flyback and man that's just it's good times to be out there enjoying the outdoors howdy listeners for more great content, check out NWF Outdoors social media on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Connect with us. We want to hear from you. Send us your ideas for podcast guests and questions in the comments. And for even more excellent content, here's a message from our partner podcast. Hey everyone, this is Marsha Brownlee from Artemis Sports Women. We know you love awesome stories about hunting, fishing, and conservation. So head on over to the Artemis Podcast. You'll meet adventurous, accomplished women who are redefining conservation through their lives in the field and on the water. Filled with humor, audacity, empathy, and intelligence, Artemis brings you new voices and introduces you to women from all walks of the sporting community. Find Artemis wherever you get your podcasts. You know, we we talked a lot about habitat and obviously good habitat can cure a world of ills. I mean, if you watch social media, the average turkey hunter is all about predators. You know, we too many predators and I, there are a lot of places where predators are a real issue, but when you have good habitat, they're a lot less of an issue. So it's a, it's a balancing act. And, you know, one of the things we see here, and I'd love to hear just quickly your thoughts on these, um, and this is a habitat issue, hang. Uh, we're used to most of it around here was in June. Now it just keeps earlier. getting earlier and earlier and, and we'll get it in late April and early May sometimes now. And, mm. and I know that's wrecking some nests. And, and then we're getting more and more chicken houses in the region. And, and everyone I know when they get on, you know, they start using litter, chicken litter and fertilizing their fields. And that seems to maybe have a negative impact that's a the i'm gonna i'm gonna back go backwards through your questionnaire but i i agree with all your points and one of the research projects i would like to have get done i don't know who we can get to do it where at or even go how to go about it but that's that's uh some grad students problem there but do a uh I'd like to do a test on that because i think that that using that chicken litter for fertilizer on the pastures is introducing a lot of lot of domestic avian diseases into our wild populations both turkeys and quail you know you think about the quail used to used to be able to hear and you you know not near as many quail and there's not near as many turkeys and a place i hunt in missouri now oh boy lets me hunt i love going up there um he roost the turkey off his back deck, but he fertilized all his pastures with chicken litter last year. And there's a chicken house, a new chicken house right down the road from him. And turkey production wasn't near what it was. And I just, my gut feeling is 
there's an issue with that. That goes back to that science. Was it something else? Was it coincidental with a with a weather event? Or uh, you know, that's where we need to do these projects to figure it out. Um, and and the first part there, when you was talking about the haying, you know, there's always people you know cut that first first cutting, and if it's been a late spring, you always hear. Uh, I've always heard farmers say, "God dang, I got a hen nest that you know got a nest today." But the earlier it gets you know the worst it gets, especially in middle Tennessee, which still has a pretty thriving turkey population. It's pretty dang good. But all in big cattle farms up there and alfalfa fields, you know there's some turkeys get caught up in that. And, you know, farmers got a farm. That's how they make a living. They need to put, you know, cattle feed up or they're selling hay. They, they have to do that. But um, be nice if we could find a way to introduce turkeys in, in, in the nesting somewhere different or maybe prove that, to the farmer that you can cut your alfalfa hay later in the year and still not not lose out on maximizing productivity for the year. Right. It's that balancing the, act Aaron was talking about earlier. And I, I'll give you a head start on the chicken litter. I read a study actually this morning, and, and they said that if they're from broiler chickens, if that's what they're, is being raised, it shouldn't be an issue because they don't live long enough to complete the life cycle of, of the parasite that causes blackhead. And that's the main one that seems to impact turkeys. But they think that, you know, the longer lived chickens, you know, that they, whether it's a laying house or whatever, um, that could be a whole different ball of wax. Hmm. That is very interesting. So I know there's been some, some studies on it. There may be a lot that I just haven't looked at. You know, I'm not going to say there is or there isn't, but I, I'd like to know more about it. I think you're going to find out more with what you're up to here. <laughs> oh yeah, we're, going, we're sure going to try. I can I can promise you that. Let's let's talk a little bit too, Jim, about like what what kind of response are you getting from turkey hunters? What are you hearing about from, oh, from yeah. you guys about TFT? Or yeah, from, and about the work you're doing, and and just kind yeah, of you know so, it's new and kind of how folks are feeling about it and what you're yeah. after. There's a lot of people really getting excited about TFT. We had our first what 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 we're going to call a roost like a banquet dinner, like we've all been to TU dinners, NWTF, they call it a roost. Um, we did our first one, I, uh, I think it was an opalaka. Um, and it, it's to gross was very good, raised a lot of money, helped out a lot for turkeys, for TFT, give us a little bit to work with on our upcoming projects. Um, but people were excited. It sold out in like a week's time. Now it wasn't a huge venue. I think there was room for 200 seats, something like that. But that's a good sized dinner and sold out that quick. Um, so they're looking at doing more. We're looking for people to be involved more. We're looking for ambassadors, for people who, um, the right kind of people, not just, you know, not just anybody's going to want to do that or be able to do that, but for the right people to want to take on that responsibility and put on a roost and, and promote TFT. Uh, we just recently changed our bylaws where we could be a membership organization. Uh, you can go to turkeysfortomorrow.org um click on join now and pick what level you would like to become a member um all that helps out and, and it's growing pretty quickly the more we get the word out there the more people want to become members and long time members of the nwtf who still support them are saying hey we want to help you too we want to be a part it's 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 let's help the wild turkey and let's help wild turkey hunters help turkeys been good it's been very good Bill, can you say my typical mon uh, thing I say so I don't have to say it <laughs> when it comes to investing in, uh, you know, taking care of these things? <laughs> Do you have it? Like, <laughs> man, I, I can't hit it like you can, Aaron. Come on, man. No, it just, it, I, I just, I say it so much, Jim. I just get, I, I get tired of hearing myself saying it, but, uh, it's the, you know, with the, all this great privilege is, is the obligation to go do these things. Right. And then you just, you just talked about, you know, growing up and having all this opportunity, right. And you've, you've invested your life back into it. And so obviously you're taking that obligation seriously, but you know, we know there's a lot of gals and, and fellas out there that are just going out and getting their Turkey every year or trying and, you know, that walk away from it, but it's not too much to ask to, you know, get to one of these banquets or throw your 35 bucks in or, you know, help out mm -hmm. with conservation. It's a, it's not a, it's not just a spectator sport, you know, it won't happen without folks helping out on those things. 
That's right. And, you know, the other side of that, too, I'll say this. There, there's a lot of different conservation organizations out here, and they all do good. I, I, at least the ones I know of that are prospering, they all do good. And it, it kind of, if it lines up with your interests, find ways to support it. Um, uh, you know, I, I wouldn't be opposed to, uh, I, I, I went to Utah in 2018 or 2019 and I shot a book, my first and only bull elk, biggest one ever shot. Um, cause it was my first, <laughs> uh, and I look to go back to do that again, you know, and, and because of that, maybe I need to support the Rocky mountain elk foundation or, or, you know, something that does that. And, you know, typically it's not a lot of money, but a little bit of money from a lot of folks goes, goes a long way. Um, so do what you can to help. If you can't, you know, at least you're buying your tag, your license, and, and enjoying going hunting. Um, and there's so, still some people try to beat the system. You know, that that's just part of it. But um, you're always going to have that, and that's why we got that's why we got game orders and people to help protect that resource. But all of us can help protect that resource a little bit. And it's, you know, as y'all said, and I'm just going to put a nail in it and we'll move on, but if you're able – um, it, we need more than just to buy a license. That's the bare minimum uh, for conservation yes. is buying a license. And for folks who maybe aren't able to, to, you know, spend a lot of money on memberships and all, these organizations have all kinds of things you can do to volunteer and help out. So I know in, in my life when I didn't have money, I probably had time. That's right. That's well said. That, that's a good, good point. I agree. Now you're rich. Yeah. <laughs> no, no. Now, now I am firmly almost middle class. <laughs> yeah, I'm with Bill. I'm with Bill. Just happy to be here. You know, but that brings you to other things too, besides conservation or organizations. You know, you look at the 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 model for wildlife management in North America. I mean, no other country in the world is set up like this, and we're fortunate to have what we have, along with you know. Uh, the different things we was talking about at lunchtime, the along with Pittman Robertson, Dane Darling, all the different things that hunters have always helped pay the way, whether you realize you're doing it or not. All we're asking for is just to help that out a little bit. I like that pitch. So, Jim, I'm we're gonna kind of transition out of turkeys here before we get too late into the show and and I have a question for you because I couldn't I, I couldn't remember the actual year you started, but how long have you been at R and T? Well, now that's a gray area question because, <laughs> and and and, and I, I'll explain it because I started off, you know, just blowing duck calls, as you know, as we met, being friends with our, the founder of Rich and Tone Duck Calls, Butch Richenback, which kind of turned into kind of helping out around the shop going to a couple shows, selling a few calls. And as his business was growing, while John was still uh, being a landscape architecture, and for some of those years while he was still in school, um, we brought in a manual operated duplicate and lathe, and that would have been somewhere, <sighs> got married somewhere in the mid, early to mid-90s. So I was somewhat working in you know, being a part of the company, but as far as truly drawing a check, um, that had been 2000, I think, but helping out Butch would go back to mid nineties. And we started rich and tone guide service in 1994. So I, I think you could actually start my affiliation there in 1994. Uh, over 25 years, over 25 years for sure. You bet. Well, we, we mentioned earlier we, we there's a big surprise you're going to announce on the show. So, so man, have at it. Yes, sir. Roll it so, out. So with that, so with that, um, I guess this thing airs on Friday will be technically my official first day um, as vice president of development for Drake Waterfowl. Um, so big change in my life. Um, that said, I won't be completely away from R&T and Rich and Tone. The Rock and R Duck call, which is kind of my call inside of Rich and Tone, will still continue to be produced here. I'll still have insight and oversight on it. I'll still be wanting to introduce new models. So 
I'm not totally gone. I'm still going to be helping out with the Call to Palooza event in June. Um, so I'll be in and out. I just won't be a full-time employee, nor, nor will I be continuing to produce RNTV. And that, that's kind of a tough decision. For, for this upcoming broadcast season, uh, quarters three and four, I'll still be hosting my shows, still be a part of the show from what you see as far as airing every Saturday on the Sportsman Channel. Um, but I will be moving on to a new position with, with Drake Waterfowl and their other brands. Drake Waterfowl, Old Tom Technical Turkey, Non-Typical Whitetail, um, Drake Professional Fishing. Um, and their casual lines. So it's going to be kind of a different deal of uh, being involved on the developmental side, both product development and content development, video stuff kind of fits what I'm going to do and um, kind of fits my background as of lately, besides messing with duck calls. But it's a new chapter. It, it, it's something new, something exciting. Um, man, I'm not, I didn't go looking for it. Um, that they, uh, They'd come to me. I'm not going off as a, as a mad disgruntled RNT employee. Uh, gosh, when I, when John and Angie and I first talked about it, and I, I told them we were all three crying time we got done. Um, yesterday, when I told uh, told the rest of the staff up here at our Tuesday morning meeting, um, heck, I was I I couldn't get. I'm just a softy. I couldn't get through it without getting emotional. So. Um, yeah, it's going to be big changes, but it's going to be fun. And again, everybody's still friends. It, it's nothing. Don't want anybody reading into it that man Jimbo got mad and he left and stormed out, throwing stuff against the wall, or you know, it, it's all good. It's it's nothing like that, but um, it should be very interesting. We need to get Aaron down for Callapalooza. He still hadn't been in the in the tap room over there. But does this mean that you're going to be at ICAST this summer? Ooh, you know what? It might very well mean I'm going to be at ICAST. So I really wasn't planning on going to the DU show in April. I was planning on going turkey hunting that weekend. But because of my new <laughs> position, <laughs> I'm going to be at, at, at the racetrack, Fort Worth, Texas, April 8th, 9th, 10th. Bill's devious mind's already at work. Oh, if you're at ICAST, here's something we got to get going. Can tell. Well, I'm I'm just saying I keep telling Jim at some point I need to get a rock and R from him, so maybe he can bring one to to Orlando and we can uh, we can light up the the show floor. That could be interesting. That could be interesting. And you know, um, I had the opportunity this past duck scene. It's going to be a cool show coming up on RNTV um, where we got to hunt with some of the Bass Elite guys out at Prairie Rock Outfitters. So. Um, I got, I got to fish with some of those guys and talk duck hunting. And what's cool is most of those guys will tell you, said, I fish so I can go duck hunting. And, and that's pretty cool. That's fun stuff. And we, you know, a, lot of, a lot of comparisons from – it's all wildlife. It's all outdoors. But we had a lot of comparisons, as you well know, Bill, because you, you spend a lot of time with, at ICAST and with those different guys. There's a lot of, a lot of parallels to what we do over here. Before we before we move from this, Bill, and, and let Jim go, we should just at least say congratulations, man. You've been a champion. You've been a just a a pillar in the in the duck calling and the duck industry, and just you know, good good on you. Congratulations Thanks. on your new deal here. Most appreciated, Aaron. Most appreciated. I just hope I can make the best of it and and continue to push forward and enjoy this this uh, uh, as I told somebody, Jimbo's last hoorah. <laughs> well i don't know about last two rob but in the past i think we've turkey hunted together more than we have duck so so maybe with career changes we can uh we can get together and duck hunt a time or two more i'm, I'm gonna bet we can because that that's kind of going that's kind of one of my deals under under development is uh is relationship development so you know we need to make sure we go do that somewhere well we're getting close to the hour and before we get out of here i'm Aaron, I'm going to start with you. Do you have any words of wisdom to pass on? Uh, just follow in the footsteps of guys like Jim. You know, do what you love. Invest in conservation. Take care of the habitat, and everything else will fall in line. I think that's it. It's a, he's he's proven that with his career and his life. So, thanks for being on, Jim. Man, thanks for having me, Aaron. I most appreciated. Sorry about all the hiccups on the last one. Um, now y'all can't do a show. Where's Ronquist? 
<laughs> we'll do one later just to give you some hell, maybe. <laughs> Fair enough, buddy. Fair enough. I like it. Take us out, Aaron. Okay. Well, I, I should also say I got one other thing for us because Jim Jim was part of a some work we did in, in, in December too. And so we're, we'll have another video with Jim on some issues we were talking about in his neck of the woods as, as well. Uh, mm-hmm. that where we were talking about some of the stuff happening in Arkansas and what we're seeing across the sporting community. So just mm-hmm. another little teaser. We're not even going to tell you what it is, just another little teaser, but, but Jim's been helping us out on multiple fronts. So just thank you again and hope everybody enjoys this episode. We'll put links to uh, all Jim's stuff in the, uh, in the show notes and uh, look for him in his new spot. And, and Jim, we got you some stuff coming so you can help us promote some of the work we're doing and, just happy thank you and so. happy trails, happy turkey season, and rock on. Most appreciated, guys. Thank you. Thanks again. Thanks for what y'all do. Um, you know, it's all important. Appreciate y'all helping spread the word. For more great content, check out NWF Outdoors social media on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Connect with us. We want to hear from you. Send us your ideas for podcast guests and questions in the comments. We are NWF Outdoors.